0: climate change just then emerging as as being the biggest environmental issue and threat that we needed to address. Individual Australians have put their hand in their pocket and bought rooftop panels. We lead the world in that.
1: We've developed a society, an economic system and a technology that is actually destabilising the entire earth system.
0: You're listening to the Climate Council Podcast. Welcome to the Climate Council podcast, I'm Alexia Boland. Societies, economies and ecosystems around the globe are at risk of being hit by unprecedented extreme weather events causing serious disruption should the world's rising greenhouse gas pollution levels exceed a climate change threshold, according to a new international report. The Proceedings of the National Academy of Science's USA report, Trajectories of the Earth System in the Anthropocene, investigates the risk of reaching and exceeding a climate tipping point, sparking a chain reaction of feedbacks in the climate system that could skyrocket global average temperature to well beyond a two degree rise within a century or two, and also eventually lead to sea level rises of from to around 10 to 60 metres higher than what we see today. Today we break down these findings with climate counsellor and report lead author, international climate scientist, Professor Will Steffen.
1: Well, what we wanted to do is, is look at, at the dominant narrative around climate change that uh, everyone talks about. That is that the uh, temperature rise we're going to see depends almost entirely on, on human emissions. In other words, the more we emit, the hotter it gets. Uh, And no matter how how much uh, hotter it gets, it's mainly due to human emissions. But when we look at the uh, climate system in the past, we find it actually doesn't behave that way. Uh, That it actually has tipping points and has strong feedbacks uh, within the system uh, that can take it to a much hotter state if you trigger those feedbacks. So basically, we're we're trying to put this whole climate change challenge in, in a new framework that, in fact, even puts more emphasis on, on meeting the uh, Paris, uh, Paris climate targets.
0: And so when you say feedbacks, what does that mean um, to the average person? Is that like an, an, a cause and effect kind of um, response?
1: Well, it, 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 it's, it works like this, that, that uh, it, it isn't a simple uh, cause and effect. That's the dominant narrative, that the cause of human emissions uh, of greenhouse gases, the effect is rising temperature, and that's indeed true. As we've seen over the past uh, 50 or 70 years or so on, uh, but in fact, uh, what you actually see when you look at the how the Earth system has behaved in the past, that you can trigger some internal processes uh, in the system that uh, en- enhance uh, the human uh, emission of greenhouse gases. Let me just give you uh, one example of this, um, and that is, uh, as we uh, emit more greenhouse gases, we're obviously warming the planet. But as we warm the planet, uh, we are uh, decreasing the sea ice over the Arctic Ocean right up on the top of the planet uh, during the summertime. And that's when the sun is over that uh, part of the ocean. And the, the, uh, the, the much darker um, seawater that's exposed absorbs more sunlight, heats even more, and reduces that Arctic sea ice even more. So that's a feedback mechanism that was in fact triggered by human greenhouse gas emissions, but it actually enhances the warming. So our research looked at a number of these feedback processes around the planet, started adding them up, added, adding them up and said, well, we could really trigger a, a much stronger increase in temperature than we're planning on if we activate these these feedback mechanisms.
0: And, what, and there's so many other, uh, I guess, feedbacks or responses that are kind of... It's like a domino effect. And you, we could end up seeing things like sea level rise that we haven't seen for millions and millions of years.
1: That's right. The, the domino effect is a really good point because these feedbacks won't act uh, in isolation. Um, and they'll act in, in a couple of ways. One is to, to simply increase the warming through absorbing more sunlight, like I just mentioned with the Arctic sea ice. But there are a number of them that you actually emit more carbon into the atmosphere. Uh, a good example of that are, are the huge forested areas in the Amazon basin and also in, in the north, in Canada and Siberia. Both of these are now burning more frequently uh, because of the climate change we've already caused through our emissions. And as they burn, they emit more carbon to the atmosphere, which warms the planet further, which makes them even more prone to burning. Another good example is the permafrost up in eastern Siberia. That's frozen soil, and it actually contains an enormous amount of carbon. But as the climate warms, some of that soil is starting to melt. And as it melts, it's starting to release more carbon back to the atmosphere, another feedback mechanism. So in our paper, we sort of add up these dominoes and, and as these dominoes start falling, if they form a cascade, as, as we call it, you could actually see, um, human forcing that would normally take the temperature to two degrees. We could actually see the temperature going to four or five because of these feedbacks. And that's what we call a hothouse tooth. So we are, are warning people here that there could be a global scale, planetary scale, Tipping point around as low as two degrees. Uh, certainly, the risk increases as you go higher. That actually takes the the, um, the climate system out of uh, out of human control and pushes it to a much hotter state.
0: And how difficult was it to come to the I suppose that critical climate tipping point or the threshold to come to that point to to work this out that you know this could trigger this chain reaction?
1: That's that's a really interesting question. Um, we, we worked on this this article for two years, uh, and we had some of the best um, earth system scientists who look at the entire earth system, the biosphere, as well as the physical climate system. We were working on this for a couple of years, and we had a lot of expertise on individual tipping elements. But by um, a lot of discussion, some modeling, uh, we said there is a possibility they could act like uh, a row of dominoes, uh, and if they did, that would lead to a whole earth system level tipping point um, and the hothouse earth we're talking about we're talking about four or five degrees warmer than pre-industrial uh, we're talking about sea levels that would eventually get to 20 or 30 meters higher uh, we're talking about massive changes to agricultural zones around the planet to the um, hydrological cycle to rainfall patterns and of course extreme weather events would get much much worse so we're really saying that that there is a lot at stake if we miss that paris target so the things we've been talking about in, in the climate councils i think for so long that we really have to get emissions down to meet the, that Paris target what our paper is doing is saying it's even more important than we think that we actually do get human emissions down so we avoid uh, triggering this this uh, row of dominoes
0: and your report also talks about um, not only... So we've touched on the climate change and extreme weather environmental effects, but there's also you know huge economic and social impacts as well that would come from this kind of threshold being crossed.
1: Yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, and, and one of the biggest ones, of course, has to do with sea level rise, that if we, if we tip these dominoes, we could see sea levels rising at between 1 and 2 metres a century, which is really a very fast rate. Uh, when you look around the world, infrastructure, uh, mega cities in Asia, for example, a lot of Australian cities that are really vulnerable to, to say one meter of sea level rise. Uh, of course, we at the council did a report a couple of years ago on, on the implications of that. Uh, and, they, and something like $200 billion worth of infrastructure around Australia is, is at risk of, a, of about a one meter sea level rise. So that's a huge e- economic uh, hit. I've seen some some estimates of of four or five or even up to eight or nine percent drop in GDP per year uh, because of sea level rise inundating uh, very, very large amounts of infrastructure around the planet. This has huge uh, economic implications just from sea level rise before we start talking about uh, changing rainfall patterns to put large agricultural zones like northeast China or the Indo-Gangetic Plain at risk. That would be enormous hits uh, to economies around the world.
0: And so globally, th- this does reinforce the importance of the Paris Climate Agreement. Do we still have opportunity to slow this down, to, to tackle climate change in order to stop from c- crossing this threshold?
1: Yeah, we, we, we do, but time is running out. I, I think we've only got, in my view, uh, about a five-year window to make the right decisions and get the policy settings in place, or maybe even a bit less. Uh, the encouraging thing is... That the biggest emitting sector still is the uh, electricity energy sector and there we have the solutions to hand Uh, and we've already seen that in parts of australia in in the act in south australia where uh, we have rolled out renewables at at very rapid uh, rates uh, and at low cost so i I think the good news is um, we can move fast on the electricity sector Uh, But we've got to get over political and and, uh, ideological constraints to do that. The The economic constraints are gone. We're actually going to save money by moving to a renewable future. So that's the positive thing, but we actually don't have much time left. We actually have to get onto this really fast now.
0: That's it's such an interesting argument when there's no economic uh, economic issue that's holding us back. It's affordable and it's clean and uh, it's reliable energy sources, and so that's, there's no reason other than political will that we're being tied up in uh, inaction, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I think look, look if you look across Australia, one of the positive things now is is the enormous debate around the um, the National Energy Guarantee, the NEG, um, and and talk about instead of enshrining re- an inadequate emission reduction target in legislation, of simply regulating it, um, which makes a lot of sense because you can change that very quickly. And, and I would suspect we could certainly ramp that easily up to 50 or 60%, uh, even with just today's um, technologies and, and so on. And as we roll out more renewables and put in m- more storage and, and smart grids, uh, we will see that we can even ramp that up faster. So I think we've got to get over this human tipping point of saying, all right, let's 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 go to a renew- renewable future and we can do it rapidly and we can do it uh, with economic and social benefits. So uh, uh, to me, that's the positive side, that we've got to push ourselves across this this political, ideological tipping point in the next couple of years.
0: And so that's here in Australia. It's good to know that we've still got hope and opportunity what, what's the story like for the rest of the world especially I suppose where your co-authors of the report um, hail from is is there still opportunity there too
1: there, there definitely is um, the United States is a really mixed bag um, when you look at places like California they're, they're roaring ahead with uh, renewables with electric vehicles with with you know getting electricity out of transport as well as, as the energy sector and so on. Uh, And so the federal government, of course, under President Trump is is backsliding on climate change. Uh, So the real question there is, is there enough momentum, uh, not only in California, but across America to sort of override uh, what the federal government wants to do? So that's a big question there. Uh, In Europe, uh, obviously, there are some good signs, uh, Germany, the the Nordic countries and so on. But there's a bit of a lag there that they need to get on on Mm. top of. To me, the two big, the two really big questions are China and India, the two big rapidly developing countries. China is probably leading the world in, in moving toward renewables, but it has such a huge task ahead. Uh, the question is, can they move out of coal fast enough? And the question about India is a really interesting one because it's sort of at the takeoff point. And so it has a really critical decision now. is, is it, it could leapfrog and go straight to renewables, smart grids, storage, and so on. Uh, rather than putting in coal and then trying to go renewable down the track. So, so, there's, a, so there's a critical few years ahead in, in terms of India making, uh, of choosing its pathway for its electricity sector. So a mixed bag around the world. There's hope that uh, a great transition can unfold, uh, but we're not quite there yet.
0: And Professor Will Stephan, just to just to end on, it's, uh, it can sound quite doom and gloom when we do talk about the possibilities of the future if we do not act. Um, I suppose what would you say to anyone listening who um, you know, is, is listening and talking about you know, this is the potential of what we could face? What would you say to them to uh, reassure them that we've still got that, that five-year period to really uh, jump on this and do something?
1: Yeah. what What I would say, what I would say is that that humans have proved in the past we can move fast and we need to. Uh, the technological development uh, has been extremely extremely rapid in the last decade or so, and what we see is that um, uh, renewable energy is has become so cheap and and it can be rolled out so fast uh, that we can move at the speed we need to. Again, I would just emphasize the critical points now. Uh, are the the political ideological ones? And there, in past, we've also seen tipping points. Uh, so um, we're not there yet, and my final point is we're not there yet. We need to keep pushing. The next five years is critical. Uh, and our, I think our article says we can't miss this this five year window. We've got to get there, or else the uh, the consequences are just just too dire. But the positive side is, Crossing this tipping point, getting into renewables, getting into getting uh, carbon out of transport, agriculture and so on. There is such a bright future in so many different ways that we should actually look at this as an opportunity, not a sacrifice. This is an opportunity to rebuild a better world. And we, we just, we've got to grab that as soon as we can
0: you're up to date with the latest from the climate council podcast team you can access all of our climate council reports fact sheets and podcasts at climatecouncil.org.au you can also follow us at climate council on twitter and forward slash climate council on facebook don't forget the climate council is independent and community funded we rely on donations to fund our critical research campaigns and projects so please help to support our work and donate via our website today